1: Welcome inside the Celtics Lab podcast. This episode, we have a special roundtable on the future of the cap and the NBA on tap for you, as well as a quick recap of recent news now that the league looks like actually going to take a stab at restarting the 2019-20 NBA season. I'm here with Cam Tabatabayi, also of Subjects Hub and OTG Basketball. How's quarantine life for you?
2: It's good. It's more or less the same. I feel like I can't really give that many updates on my bird feeder, but uh, thankfully here in Boston, the weather's much more agreeable than it was at the beginning of this, so folks can safely stretch their legs. Nice. It's
1: actually starting to get hot here in Mexico City. Uh, For those of you who don't know, I am based in Mexico City, Uh, as strange as that sounds. It's a long story. Don't worry about it. I really do love the Celtics. It's okay. (laughs) That's it. We've got some stuff to talk about. Uh, A prominent Boston Celtic alumnus was considerably featured in the Game of Zones uh, short series as it finally came to an end. Um, Your thoughts on the series and its ending?
2: I'm actually going to tell myself, and and I haven't seen the final two episodes. I will say, I think that even if we weren't as bored as we all are, I think that this, the, this series would have gotten a lot of attention. Um, Game of Zones has always been a, a real treat in the past two. I've seen two of the four episodes. I believe there's four. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just really, really smartly made. Um, the attention to detail with all the little jokes and stuff really fantastic. So I I'll have to let you talk about the last two episodes, but I do commend the folks who have been putting that together, not just because we're in quarantine and need content, but because they've been pretty damn good.
1: It's a damn good show by itself. I hope they find a way to reinvent this as as whatever else. I hope they do some other kind of parody perhaps, if not game of zones. For those of you who have been, you know, quarantining themselves from NBA media, just like Cam, I'm just kidding, uh, the the basic premise is that at the end of the series, it turns out that for all the struggle between Michael Jordan and LeBron James, that Paul Pierce is actually the greatest of all time. Um, I'm not going to spoil it too, too much for Cam, but I really enjoyed that. They actually had Kyrie Irving, of all people, claim that Paul Pierce was the GOAT. And it comes back to a very nice pat on the back for media members like ourselves, uh, because the reason why Pierce is portrayed as the GOAT in this, if you pay very close attention, is because he wrote the book at the end. So make sure you don't miss that. There is another metric out there, apart from Game of Zones, that paints Pierce as the most clutch player Ever Now, of course, this depends on what your definition of clutch is, which is usually, you know, a shot made within a very short period of time to the end of the game, with the game being within a certain range of points. It varies depending on who you talk to about it. But the folks over at Hoops Hype have another wrinkle, which is kind of relevant considering how the last dance ended, namely a pass from Michael Jordan over to Steve Kerr, in this kind of a situation, what are your thoughts on assists being considered part of being clutch?
2: Well, first of all, I I want you to read the list in full shortly because I am looking at our notes, and I had to read it like five times because these numbers are unbelievable to me. You know, it's, it's really hard because A, an assist counts as... It really depends on like what the court is and what the situation is and who it's to and, and everything like that because whoever writes down that the assist was an assist I think Howard Beck had a a piece on this a few years ago Um, Mm -hmm. the ability to qualify and assist is difficult and so I suppose if you're using assist numbers especially when the number of assists um, are so small then you could really find shades of gray but like on the whole finding someone who's open especially with the walls closing in around you if you were the focal person um, and knowing where your teammates are trusting your teammates I mean Steve Kerr is a Hall of Famer, but still trusting him in the right situation for Jordan or trusting Paxson or, or whomever else is still a huge deal. So uh, I think maybe not as, as remarkable as making the shot, but certainly uh, clutch time assists. There's a lot of credit because uh, as we learned from the Jordan documentary, Michael Jordan and other high-level athletes seem to have Sort of ego. I think that would be fair to say. So just passing up, passing the ball is, is probably bigger for them than it would be for you or me.
1: If you take away assists, then Paul Pierce is tied with LeBron James. Uh, I guess it would be a fourth place tie in that that Situation uh, based on how this is Stacking out here but just To to run through the figures uh, Based on how Hoops Hype looked at them Paul Pierce would be number one if we count assists With seven baskets seven clutch baskets and Five clutch assists Jordan uh, Second with nine Baskets and one assist Kobe And Joe Johnson Joe Johnson of course What of course (laughs) Somehow he snuck in there With Kobe uh, tied for eight baskets apiece, no assists. And then LeBron with seven baskets, one assist. Um, so if we eliminated assists, he would be on par with James, which is pretty interesting because if I remember right, they were 34 to 35 games career. And... I'm not trying to say that LeBron is in any way <laughs> on par with LeBron James, but there, there, there's there, been a lot of uh, poo-pooing on Pierce for some of his braggadocio that is that is unfounded, like, you know, not putting LeBron James on the top five list of a player, of players in the NBA history. He's been catching a lot of flack that's undeserved lately, and at least in terms of, you know, success on a team sport at a high level, I, I think that they are a lot closer than people realize, even if, being honest, we can agree – I would think that most of the success in LeBron's court is more tied to LeBron, whereas with Pierce, it was more spread out.
2: Yeah, I I don't think that Pierce is in the same uh, echelon as LeBron, but I do think that the I I guess I can understand. uh, I I think very few teams have uh, self-professed mythology like the 2008 Celtics. I think a lot of folks don't like Boston sports fans anyways. And so there is a target on Boston's back and specifically Paul Pierce's back for that reason. I also, for calling a spade a spade, he and Kendrick Perkins have a really spotty record as analysts. <laughs> yes. um, they either are leaning too heavily into being shock jockeys or they just have takes that are not necessarily agreeable. So I think Paul Pierce, the basketball player, is underrated. I mean, he was a stone-cold killer in the early 2000s, and then late-stage Paul Pierce, as he played with uh, more established all-stars, I mean, he was phenomenal. Paul Pierce, the celebrity, probably underrated some of the best Halloween costumes in the game. Um, Paul Pierce, the talking head, uh, work in progress, let's say that.
1: If you can make it through multiple seasons under Rick Pitino, never mind actually drive, then you have to be a pretty right. good <laughs> basketball player. Um, it's not his fault that he was on those teams, and you know that he was basically hamstrung uh, for most of his time with the Celtics before then. I mean, he made a couple of fairly decent playoff runs before before the new Big Three arrived, but. He he has been taking a bit more flack, and you know some of it is brought upon himself. But you know, then again, he wouldn't be the truth uh, truth speaking. I don't know what you want to call him the the guy in the wheelchair in Game of Zones. Had he not blustered his way into that that uh, write up, I guess you could say. There's been a lot said on the Last Dance, and I don't really want to rehash it. But one thing that I thought might be a good way to kind of get some closure on this podcast on The Last Dance, um, and I'm just going to spring this on you. I didn't give you any time to plan on this, but who would you want to see in another 10-part documentary from ESPN or really anyone in that same kind of a vein? Like, well, who is the person you would most want to see? It doesn't have to be a Celtic. It could be anybody.
2: Uh, so immediately my answer is Shaquille O'Neal. I think that the strength of The Last Dance is Jordan's charisma and some of it is distasteful charisma i mean you like love to hate him at times and i just i don't think that there's any player in any sort of nba history that like there would actually be i mean bill russell would be cool but i don't know if there's enough footage just seeing shaq goofing off shaq being maniacally competitive shaq doing his thing off the court shaq arresting people on miami beach i just there would be such rich i don't even know if other people would need to make an appearance so my answer is Shaq, and then my second answer is Shaq, and then probably my third answer is Shaq too, because I'm an unapologetic huge Shaq fan. But I also think it would make for great television. What about you?
1: Well, I have seen suggestions that the 2018 in particular as a whole would be a particularly good uh, subject, and because of that mythology really that we were just talking about. But for me personally, and this was just poo pooed by you, would be the Bill Russell. Because to me, he's the most interesting basketball player in NBA history um, for as much as what he did off the court is what he did on the court. Okay. And they're, they're really they're, the, the, the problem with that is exactly what you noted, though, is that the footage. You know, a lot of the people who were around who have the most insightful things to say aren't around anymore. And right. many of them, including Bill, aren't really keen about speaking to the media. I mean, maybe if you gave Bill control over it in the same kind of way that jordan would he might be interested in doing it but i really suspect there's a very good chance that even if you did have an excellent idea on how to do such like a 30 for 30 the last dance kind of documentary with him he might just be like nope you know and that's like then do you really even want to make it if it's not what he wants i don't know like it's going to end up getting made in one shape form or another after he passes but i would really much rather see someone try to engage him and hear from him and talk to him and include him in the same kind of way we heard from Jordan.
2: Yeah. And I think one of the, the things about Bill Russell that is not part of our common uh, <laughs> Bill Russell paradigm is how much of a civil rights activist he was and how yes. much he did for the visibility of black America. Um, whether or not the logistics of a documentary is doable. One place that I would point you and anyone else that's interested is um, his book from a few years ago called red and me my coach and my friend or something like that Uh, i think he dictated the book i don't think he actually wrote it but uh it's about his relationship with red auerbach and it's it's not particularly long i'm looking around my room i know i have it here somewhere so if you're itching for some bill russell and you you just can't wait for 30 for 30 to make that 10-part documentary i'd recommend you read that book
1: i may there's another one that michael pina i think of SB nation just did an article on that was also by bill russell it was more of an uh, an autobiography um not so much about his relationship with red and some of the quotes in it were just fascinating i'm actually looking forward to trying to dig into some some bill russell uh writing sometime soon myself because of that so uh thank you for all you people out there uh digging up books on sports to talk about during these unusual times uh I'm really, actually, very into some of the ways that people have been covering this sport uh, in light of a lack of actual sport to cover. Which brings us, you know, to the other big piece of news we haven't mentioned since we last spoke, which is this idea that we really are going to try to restart the season. And you know, there there's news coming out today that they are in official talks with Disney uh what is it mark lazary i believe of the milwaukee bucks also thinks that there might be uh a west coast camp for las vegas uh in the same kind of bubble vein that we're hearing about in disney um adrian wojnarowski and zach lowe of espn are reporting that there should be plans in place by june 1st on how that is going to be doing Uh, teams are being queried about their preferred way to you know convene and structure the playoffs and all of this stuff
2: what are your thoughts uh, I have a lot of thoughts here. I don't know that I have yet to buy into this being fair or equitable idea, from a morally uh, acceptable idea rather. Just from a competitiveness standpoint, one thing I think is really interesting that Woj just talked about is you have players and teams that are living or would have to travel to places that aren't yet open. Um, whether or not those places are safe is its own. Uh, can of worms. But for example, uh, I know that um, Mark Smart is down in Texas and Jason Tatum, I I believe he's back home in St. Louis. And presumably they would have to come to Boston, do a two-week quarantine, then train, then get down to Florida, then quarantine, then pick up action. And from a competitiveness standpoint, I mean, that's a huge disadvantage for a team like Boston or New York or Toronto, I mean, then you have international law getting in the way. Whereas players and folks in States that even if they're not safe are open, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. they're not going to have that barrier. And so you have this competitive disadvantage um, that could be pretty stark and could frankly lead to injuries depending on how it bears out. I think I love that the players are now, you know, itching to get back and itching to be competitive and do it for the fans and blah, blah, blah. I I don't feel so sympathetic to that idea. I mean, I get it. I mean, I think anyone who is out of work right now, I mean, that's a really, really hard situation, not just financially, but emotionally. So I I do get it, but it's not really uh, grabbing my goat necessarily. And I, and I really could care less about the billionaire owners, but I was doing some digging and I think I am starting to understand why this is being pushed Uh, based on current cap projections. If the season was canceled, not only would up to $2 billion of basketball-related income be out the door, which of which the owners are at least 50% on the hook for, but mm-hmm. that would push 25 teams into the luxury tax. Just to like really hammer that point home, Golden State's luxury tax bill was going to be about $45 million. And using Bobby Mark's numbers and a few other folks' numbers, the back of the napkin math suggests that Golden State's luxury tax bill would go from $45 million to $160 million if the That's season insanity. is canceled and you have billionaires for whom I don't think, uh, I, I don't know the numbers actually, but I don't think that for most of them owning a basketball team is their primary revenue maker. I think it's a side hustle. And mm-hmm. so if you're taking a huge bath on your weekend project, you're going to want to make some changes. And so I suspect, uh, the owners are pushing really hard to get the season finished for that reason to, Shore up some of these losses. So whether or not it is the right thing to do, I think it's coming. It, it, the starkness of the numbers make me realize why the NBA is not going to let the season fall by the wayside. That the NBA is going to do everything they can to get this done.
1: Yeah, the the necessity of negotiation if something like that happens, and not having any idea where that could end up. Um, It's a very scary thought. We could be looking at a protracted lockout situation if sides can't agree and the non-start of a season that maybe shouldn't be started anyway. But besides the point, these are real people with real needs and real jobs. And, you know, as I also do not necessarily feel particularly bad for people who can absorb huge losses and still have a roof over their head. Um, At the same time, there is a, a, a point where it will put the future of the league itself in jeopardy uh, if too much chaos is introduced. So they're going to have to negotiate some stuff depending on what happens, whether they invoke the what's called the force majeure, I guess you could say clause in, in the CBA, um in a situation like you describe, that would then require basically negotiating a new CBA that could respond. You know, it's not it's basically the whole CBA has been repeated ad Infinitum on in other podcasts at this point. It exists just to under the premise that you know, if there isn't profit, there's not going to be big losses. And if there is profit, there's not going to be a huge hockey stick spike in profit. It's kind of plotted on a fairly limited range of figures to actually function with things like, as you were mentioning, the luxury tax, which is designed to penalize teams – who spend a lot of money, so that way small market teams that can't necessarily do that can still compete. It just blows all that to pieces. I mean, there's some, there are some, you know, very short-term solutions, but none of them are perfect. I mean, as you suggested, it, leaving as it is is just a non-functional. They could theoretically lower the tax with the cap, but that prevent, presents a host of individual problems. They could do a tax amnesty, introduce a one-time uh, avoidance of tax for all teams. But that also has some fallout. If you want to hear some good explanations on that, you want to be following Danger cart Ryan Bernardoni on Twitter. You could introduce a tax or a tax amnesty, a player amnesty. But then that will in- create something unprecedented in terms of chaos because you'll have all these probably still pretty good players moving all over the place in the league because nobody can afford them. And then they will all be, you know, forced into taking below market below market deals because there's just no other alternative for them really in that situation because there isn't any cap even though there's an amnesty that doesn't make new cap necessarily. So none of these things are particularly good solutions but we did have a panel of experts convene uh, organized from Chicago-based writer and publicist Andrew Gretschko that featured SB Nation's Ricky O'Donnell, uh, early bird rights to Jeff Siegel, uh, Vic Chokshi, formerly of the Big League, and Derek Spallone of Spallone Sports and Wilson Basketball, as well as myself. Uh, so, why don't we see what we have to say with those guys?
3: Start by introducing our guests. Vic, with you, you're a Chicago based writer and marketer. You've covered numerous sports leagues for the Action Network, uh, The Big Lead, and more. Thanks for joining us, Vic thanks for having me i'm excited to be on of course uh next up we have ricky o'donnell who serves as the NBA editor for sports nation ricky thanks for taking the time thanks for having me of course derek spallone you head up spallone sports and you also serve as a social media specialist for Wilson sporting goods thanks for joining us hey, thanks for having me as well and all the way from mexico city we have justin quinn who helms celtics wire for usa today's Boston Celtics blog. Uh, as a Pitt alum, thanks for your support of Brad Wanamaker. Really appreciate that. Glad to be of uh, help. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and last but not least, we have Jeff Steel, the founder and editor-in-chief of the salary cap-focused blog, Early Bird Rights. Thank you for joining us, Jeff. Thanks for having mm-hmm. me. Perfect. All right, gentlemen, let's go ahead and get started. So first up, I'd like to talk about the league-leading Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, even with the league-best 53 wins, many are in the league. We're already looking ahead to what could be a really tumultuous offseason for Milwaukee. A lot of rumors about Giannis potentially going to the Lakers. Uh, and they already let Malcolm Brogdon go to the Central Division rival Pacers to avoid paying that luxury tax this season. Uh, it looks like, however, they're going to be right up against the threshold next year ownership does say that they're willing to pay and to go over but do you guys think that the current roster is enough for them to get over the hump and what do you think they can do in coming years to keep Giannis and, and stay competitive
4: yeah I think I mean you know I, I think I think absolutely I think with the current roster right now you know currently 53 and 12 like you said best record in the league and they have a good chunk of their core you know what I mean I mean that starting five is under under contract till but 2021-22 season you know technically with their, their starting five and just got chris middleton to sign that that max july 1st i'm you know assuming they're gonna offer Giannis the super max and uh he just seems genuinely happy in milwaukee to the point where i don't think there's like he doesn't take me as a guy who's kind of complaining you know trying to find his his way out or hey we need we need more pieces i I think they have a really solid nucleus they seem to really play as a cohesive unit on the floor Um, i just read an article yesterday where i was talking about like the group chat they have with the lopez brothers on the outside they have androids so, I mean, they just, you know, keeping it lighthearted and fun. Um, I think if you have to, you know, dip into the luxury tax to keep a player of Giannis's caliber, then so be it. But I think the the team they assembled there is super solid. I mean, even guys like, you know, DiVincenzo and George Hill that, you know, come in, come in and offer some contributions. So um, I think they, they have a good chance to even just compete for, you know, for a championship. Milwaukee basketball's fun to the point where I'll even, you know, throw it out there like who – what means more to the state of Wisconsin like an Aaron Rodgers or or Giannis you know what i'm saying because it's just what what they're bringing to to the organizations to their teams i know that was kind of hefty cuz title town loves you know and, and packers and that's a big football state but i mean you know they they rave about him over there i think it's it's cool you have this you know star player of his caliber only 90 minutes north from from where i'm at and it's it's like man this guy can really do it all so i think uh i think they got they they have the pieces in the core and he seems happy over there.
3: Yeah, Justin, I would love your thoughts on this. I mean, as a, a Celtics fan, it's got to be pretty tough knowing that you have this young or this young nucleus and, and they might be running up against Giannis and, and just this juggernaut in the East for the next years to come. I mean, how do you feel about the, the construction of the Bucks?
1: Um, I'm pretty comfortable with the course that they're on. It's really, in my opinion, going to come down to how they end up doing with whatever ends up happening with this season, if, for example, we don't actually know for sure that we are going to see a postseason, a lack of a postseason could create a, a really big problem for Giannis to kind of get uh, an idea of where his team is at. But I mean, there's not really anything that the Celtics can do about what the Bucs are doing. And in my opinion, they're going to give him the super max. They're going to do whatever he asked them to do to keep him there. And it's really, at least for the short term, it's what they have to do. I don't know, I'm, I'm not particularly concerned with, with how they end up doing their business in Milwaukee. Um, Eric Bledsoe's signing gives me hope <laughs> that they may make some bad decisions again in the future. Uh, but at least for now, there's not really much that, that the Celtics can do uh, themselves to counter what's going on over there. So realistically, the best we can do is uh, wait and hope they stumble.
5: Uh, the Bucks owners threatened the fan base with relocation, I believe, four or five years ago. They held the town hostage for $250 million, or they would have relocated. The idea that they didn't pay the luxury tax for Malcolm Brogdon is an absolute slap in the face to the franchise. Uh, the ownership spun it by saying that the assets they got back, which was Indiana's first round pick, could be traded for a player of median impact. That did not happen. Uh, I think, Maybe not a terrible move. Obviously, if you do get Giannis to sign the Supermax contract, you're going to need young and rookie-scale pieces around him, so perhaps they can find a contributor with that pick. But this idea that, like, should they go into the luxury tax, first of all, as a fan, you just never want to hear that, yes, you should go into the luxury tax every time, not my money, don't care. (laughs) Secondly, you have a generational player. Milwaukee lost one the last time they had one. His name was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That was in the 70s. Uh, this is the best team since then. Similar to that team, uh, you know, Milwaukee was on a 70-win pace, which is, I believe, what Kareem's team won back in the day. or They won 69 or 68 or something. Uh, so, obviously, Milwaukee's going to offer the Supermax. Obviously, they should do everything they can to show Giannis that they're not going to act like a mid-market team. And I think that it's, it's like, crazy to even ask. Like, yes, they should go into the luxury tax. They should do everything they want. From Giannis' perspective, it's like – You know, I think a lot of people are viewing this as either he's going to take the Supermax or he's going to go somewhere in free agency. All I would say to that is that for players of Giannis's caliber, no one has ever taken the Supermax. LeBron didn't take the Supermax. Durant didn't take the Supermax. Kawhi didn't take the Supermax. The guys who have done it are like John Wall and I believe uh, Damian Lillard. So for Giannis, like... If I'm him, I don't know what he's thinking. I would take a one- or two-year deal from Milwaukee if you really want to stick around. Give yourself the option every year. LeBron sort of pioneered that. Like, yes, I guess we want the financial security. But Giannis just got his own shoe from Nike. I think he's got his own apparel line at this point uh, through Nike. So, like, he's got to be making a bunch of money. And to me, keep your options open. Don't lock yourself into Brook Lopez, who's been amazing, no doubt. But, like, he's getting older. You wonder how his game's going to age. Uh, I would give myself flexibility if I'm Giannis.
6: Yeah, I'm on the same board as Ricky. You know, at at the end of the day, I think Giannis not being from here, not growing up on the AAU scene does make a little bit of a difference. Like, he doesn't really have a home like some of these other guys that can kind of attract him. But the fan in the city have embraced him since day one, so this is kind of like his hometown. But he should keep his options open for sure and have that ability where they give it a couple of runs with this core – he makes the fan base happy and, and just sees what happens. I, to Ricky's point, absolutely they should pay the luxury tax when you have a player of Giannis's caliber. I, I do think the Bucs made a good hire in Mike Bodenholzer, where they built the perfect system to complement his skill set. So that helps them a little bit. But in the, in the end of the day, he needs to keep his options open and the Bucs need to pay whatever they can. They have a beautiful stadium. They have a beautiful, modern, state-of-the-art practice facility. They're doing the little things to try to get him and, and some more other big guys to come and kind of put together a nice core for some time, but he needs to keep his options open in the long run and just see how it goes in a couple
7: of years. I think this is something that we're gonna hit on with a handful of teams, but we're you know, where the where the luxury tax comes in for next year is going to make a big difference on a lot of teams. I mean, we're gonna talk about the Celtics, you know, we're gonna talk about the Blazers, the Bucks are in this camp as well where the where the luxury tax line is for next season is going to make a huge difference on you know how teams build their build their rosters this summer you know right now I'm projecting them about fifteen million from the tax but if that drops down to being eight million from the tax all of a sudden you know their their team building you know their their team building uh, avenues become you know a lot more restricted uh, because also that would drop the apron so if they want to do a sign in trade they want to do some sort of deal with their non-taxpayer mid-level, they're going to have issues, you know, running right up against that hard cap.
3: A lot of interesting points, guys. Thank you for this. And and to the Lopez brothers, uh, nothing but respect. You know, you guys are both goofballs, but we love you. Uh, Butching from one contender in the Bucks to a team that has really floundered this season, the Portland Trailblazers. So wanted to switch over to the Western Conference. You have Damian Lillard, you have CJ McCollum, you made some moves right around the trade deadline. They brought in Trevor Ariza to try to help get under that luxury tax, set themselves up. But for a team that, you know, had made some deep playoff runs had had some excitement over the past few years, haven't missed the playoffs since I believe the 2012-2013 season, currently as the season stands, assuming it resumes, you're sitting in the ninth seat. You're below the the new look Grizzlies here who are really uh, surprised a lot of folks. I mean, they've got a, a pretty uh you know, talented GM, Neil Olshi. He's done some great work over the years, but how do you guys see the Blazers moving forward? What can they do to to get back into the mix? Well, I think
1: one thing they can do is they can get healthy. They've had a lot of injuries that have really derailed their, their hopes for this season. And, you know, maybe maybe um oh my goodness, why am I blunting on his name?
5: Nurkic, Zach. Yes.
1: Thank you, Nurkic in particular. Uh, that he might conceivably be capable of playing in a limited capacity when they come back, uh, but I don't think that we are going to be able to expect anything, you know, particularly helpful from him at the level he was playing at before. Um, in terms of what they can do, I mean, their cap situation is pretty constricted as far as I remember going forward, and they don't really have anything that they can do in terms of young assets that they can trade away that will in turn, in turn boost their current uh, playoff successes particularly well without really damaging their depth. They're very thin on the wing. I don't know. I, I don't I don't really see them having a lot of latitude to do much, but maybe somebody else has some things on
0: that.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, you know, like, like you hit on, you have Lillard and you have McCollum in for the, you know, and for the long haul with their max deals beginning next season. And I mean, it is important to address it, of course, because I know it's like the potential for that threshold, you know, for the next four seasons or so, you know, so they, they want to get under that tax. But um, I think the biggest thing is the Hassan Whiteside and, and Trevor because like you said, they traded for, for Riza. You know, I think there was something that I was reading. It's like, um, do you reduce your cap hit from 12.8 million to 1.8 million deciding on what happens June 29th with him? Or do you keep a guy like Ariza and next year you have this super talented lineup when healthy, right? And, you know, but that even forces you to sign guys at, you know, um, a veteran's minimum or whatever the contract situation might might be in free agency. So, Whiteside's contract's like, what, $27 million or something like that as well. So, I mean, you're, you know, you have some big decisions to make because, you know, Son Whiteside was second in the league in boards. He's a pretty talented big man. Um, but you know, do you, do you offer all that money or, you know, do you walk away from, you know, from both, from both those guys? Or do you, you know, pick, you know, keep a reason on board and see what you can do, um, you know, with, with that, with the full season and lineups and that young talent, like you said, with a healthy Nurkic and Zach Collins and Masara Little, Anthony Simmons, you know, these, these guys and go in free agency and try to get a Del Vidova or Marcus Morris, you know I mean? There's options. I'm a big Mellow fan too. I thought he he was pretty solid, but, um, yeah, I think you hit it on the head. It's like you just have some big decisions you have to make to get under that threshold, and it it includes some some hefty contracts with some marquee players who can make a difference for them.
5: Uh, Damian Lillard turns 30 in July. He's a little bit older, I think, than people realize because he stayed multiple seasons or four years, actually, at Weaver State. Uh, to me, the one move on the table for the Blazers is to trade McCollum. It's like you have – probably the best player in franchise history or close to it in Lillard in his prime. You got to go all in. I mean, there's been so many superstars available over the last couple seasons. Jimmy Butler, Anthony Davis. uh, And even last year when the Blazers made the conference finals, like there's just no way they were one of the four best teams. I didn't think they were. So you got Lillard, like Lillard, for whatever reason, keeps saying publicly that he's never going to leave. So I think you got to do everything you can to try to get him a chance at a championship. Lillard was insanely good this year uh, in a tough situation. His performance was kind of irrelevant in a lot of ways because the team wasn't contending with all the injuries. I think getting Zach Collins healthy is going to be a big deal for them. I think Collins was on the verge of a possible breakout year this season. Uh, I like him, but of course, as a center, you wonder like how much Is he really going to move the needle, especially when they already have Nurkic, who was a monster before the injury? So to me, I mean, it all comes back to the Lillard-McCollum backcourt. McCollum is overpaid as it was. They kind of gave him a sweetheart deal just because they drafted him, in my opinion. He's a good player, no doubt. Do you try to keep him and see maybe Philly does a panic move with Ben Simmons a year down the line? Like, you got to identify the right star, not just rush to it. Uh, but to me it still comes down to the Lillard McCollum backcourt and the fact that Lillard's getting a little older and that's the big move they could make is to trade CJ in my opinion.
6: Yeah but I think Ricky hits it on the head I, I mean I love Dame I love CJ with those two they're always going to be good but are they going to be good enough to actually win a title right and so yes trading for has made Whiteside better this year that's a big decision they got to make and this is a fun team to watch, but if they do decide to break it up, the 2021 NBA draft is the one to help, you know, push them over that edge, right? That, that top five is absolutely loaded with some stars that they can pair with Dame, and I, I think that's the move. You got to trade CJ, acquire some assets, go all in on that draft coming up, and get some veteran guys that can help him kind of win in this little small window that he does have left, and, and that's got to be the move for them if they actually wanna be a title contender.
7: In terms of how they build their team for this coming year, I mean, ownership has never had an issue paying the tax in the past. Obviously ownership has changed a little bit with Jody Allen taking over and there've been some rumblings that she is not really, you know, she's not as as all in as Paul Allen was. She would like to, you know, perhaps uh, move on from the team, try to sell them. But at this point, you know, they've never had an issue paying the tax in the past. They've, they've paid it over these, these last few years that you know that gives me a little bit of hope that they're going to you know do something with you know even Trevor Ariza's contract he's a prime you know trade candidate if they hold on to him 12.8 million can bring back quite a bit of, of money they can use some of those first round picks just to bolster their wing depth you know obviously he helps bolster their wing depth but they can even you know do a little bit more with that money and and you know really try to scour the trade market for that uh, for that player who can really make a difference on on the wing that's, you know, I think that's where I would go for them in, in the short term. And then if that's still not working this time next year, you can you can look into a, a McCollum move. The fact that they've got these guys under contract for the long term, even Yusuf Nurkic, they've got another couple of years for him. So they have the opportunity to be a little bit more patient than, you know, having to, to blow it up immediately.
3: A lot of good points there. And as someone who had a spectacular fantasy basketball season, thanks to on Whiteside, I have to give him a quick shout out. It's gonna be gonna be interesting to see where he lands, what the Blazers decide to do. I believe you know he'll. It seems like he's going to be moving on, but we'll have to see. Uh, but Vic, you had brought up the draft, and while the season not quite done yet, I want to switch back over to Justin Celtics here, a team that has built themselves through the draft over the last few. The GM work at Danny Ainge has just been working wonders over there. Would love to know what you folks think that they can do with Jason Tatum, with, with that backcourt that they've got and, and what they, uh, they look like for the next few years. Again, they're running up against a, a pretty tough uh, Eastern Conference, looking, I think, better than a lot of people thought it would, not as wide open as people thought it would. Um, but, yeah, Justin, I'd love to, to get your thoughts on uh, the Celtics.
1: Well, in terms of the salary cap, they are going to be pretty close to the limit. They are probably going to be a tax paying team next season. Obviously, as Jeff was saying earlier, we don't really know where that's going to fall. They could probably, if they really wanted to, and the key free agents uh, end up opting in, which they both may now, um, they probably that being Gordon Hayward and Enos Cantor. They probably, aren't going to end up being below the tax. And we probably aren't going to see any major shakeups to the roster other than potentially Hayward leaving. There's only a handful of teams that realistically could sign him. I've heard Miami uh, being floated as a likely option, well, not a likely option, I guess a potential option, a realistic option. And even then he would have to be in a situation where he would be willing to take less money for more years. In a less likely, uh, potentially—at least in my opinion—I'm only biased—to get a championship. Realistically, internal development is going to dictate a lot of their their immediate future. Um, You know how much Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown both continue to develop. It's really going to have a lot to do with how how far they end up going in terms of being a playoff team. As of now, I think that they are you know a fringe contender. Uh, With some luck, they might be able to get to the finals, but. We, we still have that monster in the Milwaukee Bucks to get through. And the Philadelphia 76ers, as of now, are, are poised to be our first-round opponent. And even though we've had some relatively good success against them recently uh, in the regular season, I think in the postseason, it's going to be a lot more difficult.
3: And for those of you out there that aren't Celtics fans, myself included, I know a lot, there's just so many differing opinions on Gordon Haywood, what he should do, the player that he is now versus what he was in Utah years ago. I'd love to hear some thoughts on Gordon Hayward and what you think his future is in the NBA.
1: Well, I think that if they are going to contend, they're going to need him. Um, I don't think that you can have as much offensive firepower on this roster and expect him to be the player that he was. I think that he would be putting up bigger numbers than he is in a different situation, but with so many people as capable offensive options in the starting unit, um, he's naturally going to end up taking a bit of a back seat. He seems to have regained a lot of his ability uh, before the accident, right after he joined the Celtics in 2017, but he he's still limited. We he, he haven't seen as much uh, some of the stress reactions that were happening um, in his foot because of the constant use. Um, he, he's still having some mysterious, like the, the X-rays are coming back clean, but he does seem to have something going on with it. That could be an issue going forward as well. I think what we're looking at with him going forward um, is that he's going to opt in. There is a chance, and this has been discussed um, in a deal that is kind of similar that uh, Jeff and I ended up talking about a few years ago with uh, Al Horford. Uh, The idea was that he might take a cheaper deal for more years, um, opt out and, and renegotiate for something that would keep him with the team longer term. And I think this is actually kind of a reasonable assessment, maybe even more so than Horford just because of the fact that he has those ties with uh, Brad Stevens, his former collegiate coach as well. And, you know, the Celtics have stuck by him uh, throughout his injury and have really maybe to a fault favored him. So I think that there is a pretty strong chance that something like that could happen. But, I mean, with with the way things are looking uh, between the pandemic, between the cap, and, you know, between the lack of definite title odds, at least in the East, uh, that he could – join. Um, I, I don't see him changing teams. It's just a question of what is his decision going to be and how is it going to impact the cap going forward?
3: Very interesting. Any other thoughts on Gordon Hayward from the group?
7: I mean, I think Hayward, you know, brings a lot of, of positive stuff to the table for the Celtics, even if he's not sort of the superstar that they signed him to be. You know, obviously the, the injury has, has plagued him in, in a big way over these last few years. The the you know For him opting in, you know, thirty-four point two million is a lot of money to give up. It's a lot of money. It's a lot more money on an annual basis than he would make elsewhere. I, I mean, you could you could see the the Celtics trying to go to him and say, hey, you know, we'll 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 give you you know four years, eighty million to to stick around. But even that, like, I mean, the the, the drop down from thirty-four million to twenty million in an on an annual basis is as a ton for him to give up. And so, you know, I really I don't see him you know opting out. And then that's going to put the Celtics you know, right up against the tax, right, you know, just over the tax. And that's, you know, that could be a problem for them, like we talked about earlier. With the tax line drops from 139 to 133, 130, all of a sudden, you know, they're paying, you know, a, a significant luxury tax bill. And I'm not sure that that's something that the front office or ownership is, is really want wanting to do at this point.
5: I'd say for the Celtics, It's all about Jason Tatum's development. To me, potentially the second-best young player in basketball behind Luka Doncic. You could throw Zion in there as well, obviously. Uh, But, you know, Tatum, potentially more durable moving forward if you're trying to make a bet between those two. I thought Tatum was just unbelievable this year. He has everything you're looking for in terms of a future star. Jalen Brown, also a big step forward this year. Jalen Brown averaged 20 points a game this season, which I'm not sure a lot of people realize. Brown, I think... Definitely not in the same league as Tatum by any means, but a very good player, uh, and I think they got him for a relatively reasonable extension number. Uh, Celtics are going to be scary moving forward. They got three draft picks, too. With Tatum being a potential top-ten player in the entire league, I think moving forward, and who knows, you know, you go three, four years down the line, you might be top five. Uh, I think the Celtics, regardless of what happens with Hayward, they're poised to be a contender long-term.
6: I know $34 million is a lot of money, but I actually think there's a shot he opts out and, and signs a more team-friendly deal. That's everything that I've heard from a lot of people that are out there. They've been kind of saying the same thing. He likes it there. The team likes it. Uh, I mean, you bring up a great point, Jeff, right? That That's a ton, a ton of money, but it's a good situation. Like Ricky said, the, the young core that they've built is here to stay. They're, they're going to be dangerous for years to come. I think they're going to try to make it work where they build around the guys. They have the picks coming up as well where they can kind of save some money there. But I I think Gordon Hayward stays. I think he actually opts out, and they put together a team-friendly deal and make this thing work for a couple years.
3: Uh, As you guys had said, uh, just I think everyone overwhelmingly thinks the Celtics are going to be a great team moving forward. They've got competition in the East. There's a lot of young teams in the East, but uh, the future is certainly bright in Boston. I um, want to move on to our hometown of Chicago. I know we have a few Chicagoans here. I've got my joke, you know, a jersey on. A team who I'm going to go ahead and say the future is bright. We're free from GARP hacks. You know, we have a new front office, I think. I feel, feel pretty good about packs and moving away in the direction they're going. Looking ahead to the draft, looking ahead to the future of this team, I'd love to be in, uh, get thoughts on what you folks think the future of the Bulls looks like. We can start with uh, Vic.
6: Yeah, before we start, I think all Bulls fans owe Ricky a uh, round of applause for uh, some of his hit pieces on on the organization. I think that really did bring about some change. So um, this is a great time to be a Bulls fan. I I don't think I've said that since 2015, maybe. Uh, And then once LeBron hit that shot in the corner, kind of it's been bad since then, right? But the last dance has been amazing. Some of those memories, and uh, now we have a bright future with AK and Eversley. Uh, I really love the hires and the moves that they've made. So uh, I'm excited about what's going to be coming up in the near future. I really do want to see what this young core has. I know AK and Eversley are going to really explore everything, but they haven't had the right coach. They haven't had the right player development guys around them. I want, and they've all been injured as well. So just want to see how it goes. I want to have a new coach, a new start. I think that's the last big thing fans are, are waiting for to kind of be elated about and then very excited about what the future holds. I think Eversley knows how important it is to be a good brand with him working at Nike and how important it is to make the Bulls cool again and make teams want to come. Players want to come play for this team and uh, I'm just excited for the next couple of years and I really do think we're headed in the right direction.
5: Um, I think that everything I've heard from Karnaschovas and Eversley certainly sounds good. Uh, I do think that, you know, it's by no means a guarantee the Bulls are about to return to glory. I think, obviously, they have a ton of work to do with the current situation. I think Karnaschovas is going to want to put his stamp on the roster. Uh, the young core that they have, I wouldn't be surprised if two or three of those guys are gone 18 months from now. Uh, He's going to want to get, you know, a fresh evaluation on everyone. And I think that's the best possible thing for the franchise. Uh, The thing the Bulls need more than anything else is a star. And they had one with Jimmy Butler. They didn't want to pay him, so they traded him. Uh, The Bulls still have the same ownership. Ownership has invested a bit uh, in this new front office, which is encouraging. But let's not forget, ownership once broke up a team that won six championships. It's the same owners, the Reinsdorf family. So... uh, I am optimistic. I'm not, like, crazy optimistic that the Bulls are about to be awesome. I think that they do have some good pieces. I'm excited to see what Karnaschovas does. I hope they are actually aggressive in making moves. The Bulls have a long history of just failing horribly in free agency, so hopefully that changes. John Paxson made two trades to improve the team over the span of 15 years. One of them was acquiring... John Sammons, and Brad Miller in, I believe, 2009, and then he traded for Otto Porter, which improved the team, but he got hurt last year. Uh, So let's get aggressive with some trades. You know, if you could find a good package for Markkinen. If you could find a good package for Kobe White, for Zach Levine, trade him. I don't care. I know Bulls fans get a little bit attached to him, but, I mean, what are you really missing? You're already the seventh-worst team in the league again. So they need some talent, and more than anything, they need lottery love. They haven't had it the last few years. Uh, This upcoming draft is not the strongest draft in terms of overall talent at the top, but I think someone like LaMelo Ball uh, would be a major talent addition to the Bulls if they were to get him. He is by no means a safe pick. In a lot of ways, he reminds me a little bit of someone uh, who played a totally different position a long time ago in Tyrus Thomas, where you can see the potential and you can see the avenues for – him to be really good, but, you know, it could be a boomer bust proposition. Uh, I think LaMelo Ball, if they get the first or second pick, would be a great addition. And then otherwise they need some lottery luck moving forward. And uh, they've got a lot of work to do, I
7: think. I'm with Ricky on this. I think he, I think they've got a little bit of a longer term, you know, time horizon than, than a lot of other teams. And and even though they have a few veterans at the top of the roster, you know, Otto Porter, Zach Levine, Thad Young, I think, I think this is a longer term sort of rebuild than, uh, than than a lot of people might think. You know, Kobe White showed a little bit of, of flashes right at the end of the season. They've got, you know, they've got another lottery pick this year. Wendell Carter is sort of, was supposed to be sort of the the guy that they could, they could build around a little bit, Lowry marketing as well. So I think they've got some some good young talent. I think it's important to, you know, hire a coach who prioritizes the growth of those guys rather than sort of the middling success that you can – not even success, the middling, you know, just the, <laughs> the middling uh, amount of wins that you can get from a, a Zach Levine, Otto Porter, you know, Thad Young-driven core. It's much more important, I think, to to sort of – break things down and then build toward the future with some of the young guys that they've got under contract? I'm, I'm with Vic on the, uh, on the
4: excitement aspect, though. I mean, I know they're young. You know, they are a young team, like the second youngest team in the league right now or whatever the case may be. But um, I'm a fan of Zach Levine. I think, you know, he's what, averaging nearly 26 a game. He's having a phenomenal – was having a phenomenal offensive season. Um, I know their roster is kind of set in regards to where they're allocating, you know, funds to for next year with it being like spread across 12 players. And then I think the biggest question is just what happens with Otto Porter, whether he opts in or not, but assuming because of like the injury plague season, he'll he'd probably opt in because he probably wouldn't get that money anywhere else on the market. Um, but you know at, at, Yeah. I mean, I'm excited for, for the new ownership. I think to Vic's point too, that he mentioned, you know, how about the last dance that's brought so much excitement too, and a lot of memories and nostalgia as well for, um, uh, you know, for Bulls fans and, and for history. And I think bringing the, you know, the Bulls organization back to the kind of being that, that icon that's seen globally, you know, based on what, you know, what Michael Jordan did in years past. Um, it's pretty neat. I mean, yeah, I think they're, you know, a little bit ways to go because they are young, but they have, they have that talent there. I think you, you decide what you do with, you know, marketing when he's eligible for that extension, you know, had a solid second half of the season last year. And then of course this year with like injuries and things, but uh, coaching I think coaching will be big so whatever they decide to do I'm hoping they'll go and get Adrian Griffin um but uh you know maybe they'll, they'll they'll stick with their guy or have someone else in mind and I think the other thing you guys all hit on is, is the lottery like you know for the fourth straight year they're projected to have the seventh overall pick so it's you know where do you get at, at that number do you go in the offseason and try to address your depth at wing you know whether with like a Tim Hardaway Jr. or Joe Harris I think there's just a lot of a lot of moves, ways they can improve this team. But um, to Ricky's point as well, they haven't made too many trades in years past. So it'll be interesting to see what they what they do with this nucleus yeah. and what they end up keeping together.
5: Yeah, one last thing I'll say is that it really can't be overstated how bad Jim Boylan is. And while I do think That's... the franchise has a lot of work to do uh, to get to the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference, just firing him and replacing him with anyone will probably be a significant increase in wins next year you could tack on five six seven wins uh Boylan was just totally a lost cause and the fact that you know he basically only kept his job because he was kissing up to ownership kissing up to management he even sent out a personal press release when Karnaschovas got hired uh basically congratulating Karnaschovas on the position hilarious but Jim Boylan's got to be fired. That's a no-brainer. Shouldn't even be discussed. Replace him, and next year immediately looks a little bit better. But even with that said, I think they have a lot of work to do.
1: As as an external uh, non-Chicago Bulls person, uh, but a fan of the finisher, how much do you guys see his impact being a factor in him sucking this season? I know injury was a, a big part of it. I know he spent a lot of the season out injured, but he seems like, at least him in particular, really pushed back against Boylan.
5: Yeah, he's an interesting player. The thing I'll say about Markkinen is that, for one, he hasn't improved in three years in the league. His numbers have remained remarkably static since his rookie year. The second thing is, like, he can score the ball. We know that. But what else exactly is he going to bring to the table? Uh, Per 36 minutes, I believe he averages under one block and under one steal. His rebounding is at best average, likely a little below average for the position. His defense, while Bulls fans were praying it would be average, is likely a little below average at the position. So you got a guy who is an interesting scorer, who doesn't create for himself, he doesn't create for his teammates, I believe 71% of his baskets were assisted. Uh, So like, that's kind of been the thing with marketing, right, is like, You want him to be the offensive superstar, but he's not capable of creating offense out of thin air, off the dribble by himself. And then the Bulls don't really have a star creator. You have someone like Zach Levine, who has been moved to uh, basically like your offensive initiator type role, where he's running the isolations, he's running the pick and rolls because the Bulls don't have anyone else to do it. He's not really a good fit for that role. While he is a good scorer, he's not a very good decision maker he should be in more of an off-ball role, a la, like, Clay Thompson or something, running around screens, stretching the floor, hitting threes. So what Markkanen really needs is a high-level creator next to him to spoon-feed him opportunities. I think if you paired him with someone like James Harden, Luka Doncic, Markin would look a lot better. In the current bowl situation, he just can't create for himself. And then uh, he doesn't really add anything else to the table beyond that in terms of defense, in terms of playmaking. So it's a very interesting test case if Karnaschovas and Eversley can get the best out of Markkinen I think that that will go a long way towards shaping the next successful Bulls team but Markkinen's also up for an extension next season like what do you give him is he going to get the Jalen Brown money is he going to get buddy healed money is he going to get like I I don't know I'm just not sure so uh that's a big decision hanging over the franchise I'm sure they won't lose him for nothing they're probably going to re-sign him and then they might trade him but Good, talented player, flawed player, they got to put him in a better position to succeed as a
6: franchise. See, that's why I want to get rid of and ASAP and really surround him with the right coach, the right player development guys, and off-the-ball kind of guy that can create. So he's an interesting guy. I still have faith in him. I do think that it, AK and Eversley are going to find a way to use him correctly, get the right coach, right guys around him to help him improve and really show off what he's good at on the offensive side of the ball. So He's the main guy it'll come down to when it comes to contract and just development. Like Ricky said, if we can, he he's going to be the answer to what shapes the team for the next several years. But to Jeff and Ricky's point, yes, we have a long way to go. But I think just getting rid of boiling, getting rid of guard packs—that's why I'm so optimistic because it couldn't get any worse than that. And a lot of my fans that grew up as Bulls fans. Everyone's apathetic to the team. They even stopped watching the team. So I think now the regime change at least gives people
3: hope. We have a long way to go, but that's what I'm super excited about. Yeah, uh, thank you guys all for those interesting thoughts. You know, a lot of uh, mixed emotions. That was a roller coaster to listen to as a Bulls fan. Yeah, I don't know if I should be excited. I don't know if I should call a timeout while we're losing in honor of Mm -hmm. Boylan. I don't know what we should do, but it's going to be exciting to watch. Uh, One team I personally – both invested in again from the, the perspective of my fantasy basketball team and just as a fan of the league is Miami Heat uh, a lot of Pat Riley coming back in the last dance a lot of uh, you know just uh, ties to him and everything that he's done as a coach and a GM the Heat looked fantastic this year in a year where I don't think a lot of people thought that they would would punch up to this weight we know they have Jimmy Butler so there's time with the Bulls but Tyler Hero looked pretty good in the early half of the season. Kendrick Nunn can score on anyone at any time, anywhere. Uh, They've got some pieces, and I'd love to know what you guys think about the Miami Heat, both for potentially the remainder of this year if the season comes back, but more importantly I think going forward.
4: I'm I'm with you on that, Andrew. The Heat were awesome to watch, man. I love the makeup of that team. Um, I think I was convinced on Tyler Hero when I watched the Heat Bulls game in December where he scored like 16 of the Heat's final 18 points or something like that, and then he hit that game when he shot against uh, Philadelphia as well. Um, so some of those marquee games where you got a chance to really watch them play. I think, like, the roster shape up for what they have. It's it's unique, right, because they have, like, I think six or seven guys heading into free agency this year. But, you know, it's like, do you use your bird rights to retain them? What, what do you do with a guy like tragic Derek Jones? It sounds like they're going to bring all those guys back. I can't imagine Haslam not being in the Miami Heat uniform. And I honestly said the same about, you know, Wade years ago, and then, of course, you know, different things occurred, but he found his way back. So I don't know. I think they have a pretty cool makeup of a team. I mean, the fact that you got, like, these two undrafted guys and Kendrick Nunn and and Duncan Robinson, who you know, performed so well. I think Duncan's on track for, like, key three-point records and things like that, and he's been balling out. Like you said, Jimmy Butler's turned into this tremendous leader and, you know, something I think he always had, and it just maybe rubbed off the wrong way in the different organizations he was with, but it seems to really do well in Miami. So I, I really like that team. I thought they did a good job of kind of balancing out some of, some of their deals and contracts, all things considered, you know, across the board with the other teams and kind of looking at the graph that you provided, you know, that had the the roster and salary shape ups. but I like Miami. I thought, I mean, they seem to get, got a couple of guys at a bargain who really perform really well. And then you, you know, you have your your core nucleus guys and keeping everybody intact for years to come, which I'm sure, you know, Pat Riley and Eric Spoelstra will, will aim for. And I don't know if, uh, and then I can't forget about Andre Iguodala and then what you end up doing with Bam, you know, um, with, with Bam. I mean, I think getting him to that, that extension and all-star big man, it seems like he may be leaning towards that way. I was also reading something where you kind of mentioned like he looks up to Donis Haslam in that regard as a guy who's like a long time with, with one team. Um, so does he take that route? And I think you, you go all in on retaining him as well. So they have some key decisions they have to make like, to keep that roster intact, but I think they're pretty fun to watch, man. And they they uh, really play well together.
6: Yeah, uh, Miami's the team that the Bulls should look at when they're trying to see what they want to become, right? And, and Pat Riley, aka The Godfather, he's been successful wherever he's gone in the past, and he's always put together good squads. He knows what he's doing. He's built this team. He has the star in Ricky that Ricky mentioned before about the Bulls, but in Jimmy Butler, right? They have the star. They have another upcoming star in Bam, and they have these very, very good young guys, and... Tyler Hero, Nunn, Robinson, so they're putting together a team that's going to compete, a team that's going to be good in the long run as well, so I see them getting the BAM deal done, having that core of BAM and Jimmy Butler with these young guys, and just competing from here on out for a couple of years, so he's done another excellent job putting his squad together.
5: I'll defer to Jeff on this, since he's the expert in terms of salary cap. To me, they still need to improve a little bit to get to actual title contender status, i don't totally know what their salary sheet looks like, but we know that Miami is consistently a player for top free agents. I have no doubt that Pat Riley is going to put his rings on the table for Giannis if he tests the market in a couple of years. will be the same thing as he did with LeBron. If that doesn't work, he's probably going to look at Bradley Beal, and then he's probably going to look at someone else. Uh, the thing that the Heat have going for them is unbelievable internal development. You look what they did this year with Kendrick Nunn. With Duncan Robinson, who was a Division Three player like five years ago, uh, you know, you could go down the line. They just got a lot of really good development from their guys. And then, oh, yeah, Bam turned into a top 30 player in the whole league this year, probably. So he's a stud moving forward. Uh, everyone's been waiting for Butler to fall off. And guess what? He hasn't done it yet. The guy's a tank. Uh, he's already finished, you know, one year of that contract, of the four-year contract. And he looks pretty damn good. So... I think that he's going to be able to fulfill that contract at a star level play, I think. Uh, He couldn't shoot at all this year, Jimmy Butler, and he was still one of the best players in the league because he's an absolute tank going to the basket, a really smart player, an unselfish player on the court. Uh, You know, they have the lead initiator offensively that you need. You put the ball in Jimmy's hands. Spread the floor, run a pick and roll, run in isolation. He's either going to get fouled or he's going to kick out for a three. It's a pretty easy formula. They probably need one more creator. It can be an upgrade over Dragic as their secondary guy. Uh, I don't know what their salary cap situation looks like in the immediate future. Maybe Jeff can fill us in, but I think that they definitely have a bright bright long-term future.
7: Yeah, after their their trade for Andrea Gudala this year, they've actually got some cap space to work with this year. So they're going to be able to go out and, you know, if they don't want to re-sign Dragic and they, they want to sort of go in a different direction, they've got some money to spend. They've got more money than a lot of teams and they're a contender. So this is, you know, they're the, the one team with cap space this summer who's already a contender. And obviously there's not a, a ton of high-level free agents this summer. You, you're going to have to sort of, you know piece together some of that 26 million to to spread it around for for a few different players who can help their their depth issues but you know they've got you know they've got a a strong core in Butler and Adebayo and i think that the two of them can help bring in that third star in 2021. That's sort of their plan. That's been the Heat's plan for these last few years. And so that's when you know Bam's up for for an extension this summer. I don't think that they're going to get anything done with, with Bam this summer because his cap hold is so you know small in in 2021. It'll only be 15 million. They can decide to you know hold off on that new contract maximize their their uh, cap space in 2021 and that's when they're going to go after Giannis they're going to go after Paul George they're going to go you know perhaps after Kawhi Leonard who can you know get out of of LA that year you know we'll see there's just so many you know big names on the 2021 market that that I think Miami is really building toward you know toward that year to really add that third star around Jimmy and around uh, Bam Adebayo.
4: Yeah, Jeff, I think you hit it on the head too, is like they, they have that money in that space and it doesn't all have to go, you know, right away. It doesn't have to all be allocated right out the gate. And I think with like the, the 2021 class, like you said, saving up and, and like having space for that highly touted class, you're going to add another guy who, you know, of a star caliber to already go along with a Jimmy Butler and, and and a Bam and whatever else that roster looks like. And that's, that can be pretty dangerous for, uh you know, for, for, for the for years to come.
3: Yeah, as a Bulls fan, definitely scary to hear about everything the Heat have going on, to have that front office, to have Pat sitting there in his suit. He, he's ready to go. You know, he's always scheming. So the Heat are going to be fun to watch for sure. Uh, but moving past that, we got to go back to the Western Conference. I haven't talked about them a ton, and I wanted to focus in on the Warriors. Really interesting season this year. We know about the injuries to Steph, to Clay. We know about starting the season with D'Lo and now where they're at with Andrew Wiggins. Would love to know what they look like over the next few seasons, how you folks envision everything working, because they've got Wiggins, Clay, Steph, and Draymond locked up for a few seasons at least, and beyond that, uh, pretty thin and not a lot of wiggle room to work with.
7: Yeah, I mean, they've got a lot of money tied up in, in, a lot of, in, in just a very few guys. Wiggins is obviously the big, massive negative, negative value contract on their books. You know, you would think that they've you know, they've got some picks, They've got their own pick this year. They've got Minnesota's pick next year. You would think that they were going to try to, you know, make a move to to consolidate some of those picks and Andrew Wiggins to use him as outgoing salary to big bet, to bring back a a another actual you know player who actually is worth his contract. Or you can you know try to trade him for you know multiple pe- pieces that sort of help their depth. And you know I think that you know they understand where they're at in the league. They understand that you know. Steph, Clay, and, and Draymond are, are you know not getting any younger. They're, this is their time to really contend out west. This is you know they're still in the the midst of their dynasty. And if Andrew Wiggins is going to be a big part of what they do on the floor, then they're not a dynasty anymore. Like they're just not going to be good enough. He's you know if they're going to to feature him really in any way, he's not. They're not going to be able to contend at the highest levels. But he's got a big you know outgoing salary that they can use to bring back. A, a you know an actual real good superstar that's where you know i think they should use wiggins outgoing salary plus the the picks that they do have remaining to, to you know really strengthen their either strengthen the the team as a whole or strengthen their their top level talent
6: yeah if there's one team this virus situation has helped this year it's the warriors right like for them it was rebuilding gear they can literally like fast forward now they get Curry and Thompson back 100%. They're going to get a top-five pick. And to Jeff's point, I do see, see them moving on from Wiggins. And also, I do see them moving on from Draymond, you know, trying to make a deal. They have a guy in Eric Pascal that they're kind of grooming to, to fit that role as well. But I think they're going to be really, really good just back again as a title contender as soon as next year when the guys are back and they add some more firepower to the, to the court. It
5: really comes down to Steph and Draymond. I mean, that two-man combination was just so incredible at its peak. Uh, Curry, in my opinion, is one of the best players in the history of the game. He will be in his 30s now. He's had injury issues throughout his career. Is Steph Curry still going to be a top two, top three player in the NBA, or is he going to be like a top 15 player in the NBA The gap between those two echelons is massive and will be the top thing that determines how good the Warriors are. Then you have Draymond. I've always thought Draymond's game is likely to age like milk, but he has been such an incredible player. He's brilliant, one of the best basketball minds in the game. Uh, I think it's hard when you're undersized, though, as you get older to maintain how good you are because you don't have your size to fall back on. So that will be interesting. Uh, in terms of Wiggins, I mean, they want him to be Harrison Barnes, right? Like, I think the main motivation for doing that trade was to get the draft pick. If you package your pick this year and Minnesota's top three protected pick next year, that could be an insanely juicy deal to get a team to bite on trading a star. But it comes back to staff. It comes back to Draymond. And uh, whatever the next iteration of the Warriors is really is going to hinge on how good Draymond is and how incredible Steph can be.
4: I mean, I still think, yeah, I think with that, that backcourt tantrum of Steph and Clay when healthy is still super dynamic. I think everybody kind of hit it on the head. Draymond's a super smart guy and he's just, you know, seems to be everywhere on the floor. He really does do it all on both sides and he, he hustles and he, he plays hard. And I think, yeah, having those young guys too, like, like Pascal and, and a Jordan Poole and a Kai Bauman and, and Looney, you know, whatever, whatever they decide to do with some of these guys, you know, um but it's just you know they at least they have some pieces i honestly like like the five next year depending on you know if they if they do stay intact and buy the five i'm assuming whoever they end up drafting um it'd be cool to see them get a james wiseman um because then all of a sudden you have a lineup of steph clay andrew wiggins draymond green and james wiseman which i mean at least on paper sounds pretty dynamic and i'm sure they would would find a way if, if everybody's healthy of course. But, um, you know, but that also goes down to what, what you decide to do with your pieces and um, any moves that you end up making with, with any of that, that nucleus. But, like, that's, that's pretty dangerous and, honestly, a chance to, you know, uh, be a title contending team when, when healthy with, with that type of unit.
3: Well, speaking of contenders and the championship, we know that this season is in, in limbo here. Uh, i speculate on that. But if this season were to come back today, who would you all vote for as the you know lifting that Larry O'Brien at the end of the season? Who do you all think would win this season as it stands today? Uh, we can start top of my screen with Jeff.
7: I think Milwaukee is is the best team. I think that they're they've they're deep. They've got a great coach. They've got a system that sort of brings out the best in all of their players they've got a system that's ingrained in all of their players they don't have you know a significant new piece that they're trying to figure out how is this going to work in a playoff series you know they've got the superstar of course at the top of the roster and Giannis that you you have to have in order to win a title these days I think that they've got they also have a little bit of an easier path through the east whereas the two LA teams are going to have to likely play one another and then Milwaukee in the finals if you know everything goes to sort of how I think of it with those three teams at the top of the league. I think that that's – I think Milwaukee is – sort of has the best of both worlds from from the the, the three, you know, high-end contending teams this year.
3: Uh, Vic, we'll move on to you. Yeah, I, I
6: have Milwaukee Clippers as the finals. Um, but on a side note, how fun would the Celtics-Lakers be, right? Like kind of like the old days uh, when they played this season, it was fun to watch as well. I came down to the last, you know, minute. But – Uh, I do think Milwaukee, this is their year of all years. So um, it'll it'll be interesting to see who comes out of the West. I I do think the Clippers are going to edge out the Lakers at the end of the day, but it'll be fun to watch. So I have Milwaukee Clippers. If not, uh, I'm hoping for kind of a Lakers-Celtics old school throwback.
3: The only reason I couldn't stand a Lakers-Celtics, because if that happens, Giannis is gone, he goes to L.A. or something, and it's just Doomsday for everyone. Uh, but speaking of the Celtics, we'll go to uh, Justin. Justin, what do you think?
1: Honestly, I, I have to agree with Jeff. I think Milwaukee, is they have the easiest path. They have the most coherence within their own roster. Uh, as much as I would also love to see, obviously, a Boston Celtics-Los Angeles Lakers final. Uh, I don't think that that's in the cards. I think it's going to be just too much to ask of the Celtics to get through Philadelphia, most likely. Or even a healthier Pacers, uh, since they are in the next seat up, if I remember correctly. And then to to be able to take on the Bucks with much less uh, playoff experience as a team. I mean, I know we saw the the Wunderkind run uh, the season before last, but I mean that in my mind was more you know everything breaking right for the team at that point. Um, you know, as as wonderful as they were, so I I don't really see that being very likely. I think that probably Los Angeles Lakers are the, the team that is most likely to come out of of the West, but you know they're paper thin at the top and. I don't know. I, I really think that it's probably going into being the Bucs at the end of the day.
3: Thanks, Justin. We'll go to Derek, and then we'll finish with you, Ricky.
4: Yeah, um, so before the season began, I was really high on the Los Angeles Clippers wave. So I really, you know, ever since, like, Loud City, I think I've always just had this, like, fascination with, with the Clippers organization and the lineup and the roster that they compiled. And, like, that was my squad on, like, 2K13, 2K14. Um, so I was itching to stick with them. But then I went to a Bucks game. Uh, one of the last games before the season ended in early March against the Pacers. And they demolished the, the Pacers. And I was like, man, this team, like, it's one thing to see them on TV and another thing to see them play in, in, in person and uh, seeing Giannis play in person for the first time live. But even with all that said, I'm still going to rock with the Clippers. I think that was my my choice to take home the Larry O'Brien trophy. Um, won seven, seven of their last eight before the season it went on pause, but, you know, second in the West, 44-20. I like the, the squad they have to your, to your, your guy right here, Joe Kim Noah, uh, you know, hop, hopped on board and we didn't quite get to see what that could be. There you go. Show some love. And uh, yeah, but I, I like that, that lineup, you know, with, with Kawhi, Bev, I uh, love Lou Will, you know, Paul George, of course. And with, with everybody being healthy, I think it was like a weird season where they would, you know, kind of have like, you know, some, some DNPs for, for Kawhi or Paul George and whatever the case was to, you know, keep guys uh going for the long haul and the grind of a season. But yeah, I, I like the uh the Clippers and I, and I'll leave it on, on this note. The Clippers out of those, the teams between the Lakers, the Bucks, and the Clippers, the Clippers were the uh only team to win their last game before the season went on pause. So you do with that information as you will, but <laughs> that's uh I I rock with the Clippers for that.
5: Uh, the Clippers were my preseason pick. I picked a Clippers over Sixers finals, so wow. that might not look so good anymore. Uh I was definitely a doubter of the Lakers coming into the season. They totally proved me wrong. Uh, I think I would probably go Lakers now. They have, like, no guards on that team. The depth is horrible. You're going to have to play Alex Caruso high-level minutes. Alex Caruso is actually much better than people think he is, but you still don't want to play him in big spots. But at the end of the day, they're going to space the floor, they're going to run a pick-and-roll with LeBron and Anthony Davis, and they're going to say, stop us. And I think that I was probably totally wrong about the Lakers, and I would likely pick them to win. Uh, LeBron has taken a vacation before before the playoffs, and that worked out pretty good for him. So I'm sure that whenever the season comes back, if it does come back, LeBron is going to be, like, supercharged to the max and Davis is incredible, and I would I would probably go Lakers to win a tournament, even though certainly the Bucs have been the best team in the regular season. But, you know, whatever in whatever format the league comes back, if it does come back, uh, I just think that, you know, I'll roll with LeBron and Anthony Davis.
3: Yeah, hard to go against the king on that one. Uh, but we'll start this next question, our last question, off in reverse order, so we'll start with you, Ricky. Hard to speculate, but we've done a lot of that so far. Looking at the next season, whenever it starts – uh, with the rosters they are today with, you know, all the information that we've just talked about, who do you have winning uh, winning next year? So this is the 2021 season? Correct. So looking ahead a year, a lot of speculation, but who would you as an early, early pick ahead of the draft, ahead of all that, who would you pick to be uh, hosting the Larry O'Brien this year? I'll pick the
5: Clippers. Then I think, like, Clippers have the best ownership in the league in terms of their commitment to building the best team possible and not letting money get in the way uh Kawhi is still incredible Paul George wasn't as good this season following his offseason shoulder surgery but I think he'll be back uh I don't know what they'll do with Harrell or with Lou Williams but I think that they still have some mobility to like improve that roster given how unconcerned with money they are and I just think that they're probably going to get another one with Kawhi so I'll go Clippers in 2021
4: all
3: right Derek it's you
4: yeah, I don't mean to jump on on the bandwagon here because I know I was high on uh, talking about the Clippers and everybody, but um, by bandwagon I mean the Warriors bandwagon. I think next year with with everybody healthy, um, and this is me also my, like you know that that fantasy team of what can be. Um, you know, I think they go after James Wiseman. I I'm high on him. I really like him. I think his skill set and his uh, is is great. I think what he could what he could bring and how he'll be able to fit with that organization would be uh, spectacular. So I I, I like them. Um, for next year uh, i think they'll get the chase center bump in and um you know no they went to the finals five of the last six years and you know like that's not enough uh but um i i, I there that, that would be my early 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 season pick to get it done assuming they keep that roster intact and go that route in the draft
3: yeah a lot of speculation here but justin you're up next
1: uh, I'm going to pick the homer pick and go with the Celtics just because it's their real best shot in the Kemba Walker era. Uh, I do think that they'll have another shot or two or three uh, down the road when the young wings get into their prime, but at least for now, I think it's their best shot. You really don't know what the landscape's going to look like. I, I'm, I'm going to go with the Celtics just because, like I said, it's their best shot and who knows.
3: All right, Vic, you got to go with the Bulls or something, man. Maybe <laughs> years ahead, seven years ahead. That's my
6: pick, baby, the Bulls. Now, um, I really think one of the three teams that Justin Ricky, and Derek picked is going to win it all next year. So when it, when it comes to the Clippers, I, that would be my pick as of now. But like Derek and kind of Jeff referred to before, if they can move – that Wigan Steel and one of the picks land a third star get a really really good rookie to contribute uh, why can't they compete right for that championship and and I love the Celtics next year I think that's going to be their year out of the east as well so that's the kind of finals I, I envision either the club Clippers and Celtics or the
7: Warriors and Celtics and the Clippers winning it all all right Jeff one we'll with you I mean, for me, Milwaukee has to be uh, another early favorite. I mean, I think that they've got the best player in the world in Giannis Antetokounmpo. They've, you know, the, you know, the, the Clippers are going to be right there, assuming that everybody can stay healthy, assuming that they, you know, don't lose any of their depth this summer with Montrezl Harrell going into free agency. You know, but Milwaukee is going to be right there. Milwaukee, you know, has the, the the roster intact. They've got some some flexibility to move some pieces around this summer and try to to shore up some of their depth. So, you know, I think Milwaukee has to be, right, you know, up there in that conversation. I'm surprised a little bit that we got through so many different people without, you know, mentioning the Bucks at, at the top of the heap there. And so, you know, I think that uh, the the Bucks are certainly, you know, right up there. I think of the teams that aren't already in that top group, you know, we've, we've mentioned the Warriors. I think Miami is is also right on the cusp of, of becoming something great with Jimmy, with Bam, with the fact that they've got some money to spend this summer they've they've got the the opportunity to you know vault themselves right into that championship conversation
1: and we're back uh, i just wanted to point out that you can all stay up to date with these folks work individually you can find andrew Grechko. excuse me andrew gretzko at at andrew underscore Grechko, that's G R. E T C H K O. You can find Jeff at at J G Siegel and that's spelled S I E G E L. Ricky is at S B N underscore Ricky and Vic is at Doc Squad Thirty Three at obviously also. Derek is at at D S S Spallone excuse me at D S Spalone and that's spelled S P A L L O N E and of course you can find me at Justin Quinn all one word. And an extra third N at the end. You don't want to know why. It's a really stupid story. As well as Cam. Well, you, you tell him Cam.
2: Yeah, I'm not gonna make you spell that. Uh, at c you'll just you'll find it on Twitter. I'll it's put too, it in the too article. much to spell. Yeah, you made it this far. I'm sure you found it before.
1: Well, you can find the pod on most podcatcher apps. Please make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, please rate us five stars. If you don't like something or have a suggestion, just let us know. in a comment on Twitter with a hashtag CLPOD. As usual, we're always trying to bring you the deepest dives into Celtics coverage. Take care, man.
6: Thank you. You too. (laughs) (laughs)